Oh, snap, snap, snap. The world is finally waking up to the crap that's baked into and sprayed on kibble dog food. No longer can commercial pet food manufacturers fool us with pretty pictures and false promises. This is the raw dog food truth. The view and opinions expressed on this podcast are not intended to replace medical advice. Before starting any raw diet, do research, ask lots of questions, and consult your vet. Well, hello, Raw Feeders. I am Dee Mercer Moffat, the CEO of Raw Dog Food and Company, where your pet's health is our business and where friends don't let friends feed kibble. Today is Friday. That means that our wonderful, fabulous, and now a new adjective, godly, Dr. <laughs> Judy Jasek is with us today. How are you? Oh, well, I don't know about, I don't know about godly, you know, like, well, I didn't say it. I didn't say it. This was the review that we got. <laughs> I know. I and know. I'm I g- just tell my husband, you need to remember that. Just remember that you are in the presence of holiness. Um, <laughs> just don't forget that. You know? Right. <laughs> I think that he should know that. And I read this on the podcast the other day, but I'm going to read it again today because I think that the work that we do here, Dr. Jasek, um, we don't realize that people take this information and they change their dog's lives. And uh, this is amazing. So Stephanie said this, she said, I wanted to reach out to you all and thank you for literally saving our great Dane's life. Now that always gets me right in the heart when I hear that. (laughs) She was diagnosed with lymphoma and hepatitis in March of 2021. And not knowing any better, we started chemotherapy. She did wonderfully and went into remission after the first treatment. Shortly after that, I joined a holistic cancer group on Facebook and everyone raved about your podcast and Dr. Judy Jasek. I quickly jumped on the holistic bandwagon and never looked back. We Zoomed with Dr. Jasek, who I swear is godly. There it is right there. Uh, Started raw feeding, bought almost every supplement that Four Leaf Rover has to offer and our dog has never been healthier. She had, a, she had a routine blood work check with her oncologist today, which was just a couple of days ago, who told us her nodes are the size of a normal dog's. Her blood work is virtually perfect, and all of her liver enzymes are in the 100s. They were over 1,000 last year, uh, redeeming her hepatitis pretty much gone. I left the vet in happy tears, and I'm convinced that if it weren't for your podcast and the amazing, incredibly informative advice, our pup would not be here today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Stay healthy, stay amazing, and stay raw. Stephanie. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I read that in our staff meeting this week, and I almost couldn't get through it. I just started getting so choked up because, you know, that's what makes this worthwhile, knowing that that's possible. I mean, it, we don't, that doesn't happen in all cases. We don't have those kind of results, but when you see, you know, it can happen. So you keep trying because there's always many, many factors as to why a certain pet gets sick. Um, but a lot of it does depend. I'd say a large amount of it depends on the dedication of the pet owner. You can't do this part way. When she said she bought in wholeheartedly, that's a big part of the reason why her dog did so well. Cause she went all in and didn't look back. You can't do this a little bit. You can't say, well, I'm going to try feeding a little raw, but I, I'm still going to feed kibble for a while. You can't do it that way. You can't say, well, yeah, but my dog still needs to be on flea and tick medication. No, you can't do that. You've got to be all in. And that is a big part of the reason why this dog did so well is this pet parent 
was all in. And when you do that, yeah, the results can just be amazing. Absolutely. Uh, we went to a concert at Red Rocks night before last, and we were standing in line, uh, you know, chatting with some people from Kansas. And uh, the the fact that we owned a raw dog food company came up. And it's amazing, Dr. Jasek, that many, many people, they have no idea that there are holistic alternatives to flea and tick and heartworm. They just don't know. They've never heard of it. Um, and invariably, the people that I talk to have sick dogs, right? Or have friends that have sick dogs. You know, my dog's going through this or my dog has allergies or my dog has cancer or this dog has cancer. And they just don't know that there are alternatives. I remember this, this uh, sweet woman said, well, where do I find that information? And I said, well, you can, you know, duck, duck, go it, Google it. I mean, there's, there's so much suppression of what's good for us in the world. You know, yeah, it's, yeah. it's hard to get that information. But so I think that's why it is terribly important that we do podcasts like this so that we can keep getting that information out there. And then people that know people with pets that are sick can just say, hey, you might want to listen to this podcast. And then they don't have to be the bad guy. Right. They don't have to be that um, person that says, yeah, you don't have to do that. Right. 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 They can get. Yeah. Just give them give people resources because people will, you know, absorb the information when they're ready to. You know, it's the old old saying when the student is ready, the teacher appears. You can't force people to, you know, go down this path. Um, but I just I just know it works. You know, that's why I keep pushing it. And that's what I tell people and people you know, can do it, do with the information, what they like, but you know, we've, we've, we've seen this stuff work. We see it over and over again. Exactly. And you know, there, there, there is, I mean, people do try to put pieces together. I mean, I, I had a call and um, they wanted to know how much liver could they give their dog? And I said, well, I need to understand what you're doing when you say liver, are you talking about whole liver? Are we talking about uh, freeze dried? What, what what are you mixing it with? Well, I'm mixing it with kibble. <laughs> and I said, okay, well, how much are you giving the dog? And how much does the dog weigh? And what is the actual goal? I mean, that's really what I'm always trying to get. What, what are we trying to do? What are you trying to do with that piece of liver? I get it that it's high in, you know, um, vitamin A and it's got all good things. But I said, it's really, uh, if you could shift your thinking to more of what we need to take out of the diet, exactly, then you would probably get further because you can't, and there are many, many people, Dr. JZQ and I know them well, that will promote, hey, just, you know, at least give your dog one raw meal a week. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I get that. Okay. I guess that's decent, but you and I are like, jump all the way in. If you want the biggest bang for your buck, if you want the best quality of life, because if you and I are going to eat healthy, um, does that mean we're going to eat crap most of the week? And on Sunday nights, we're going to feed ourselves really, really well. And then expect to have great health that doesn't really work that way it doesn't 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 work that way at all because if because if the food say a kibble food 
is part of the problem, if you don't eliminate it completely, you're still going to have the problem because it doesn't like I'm sensitive to gluten. Like I eat gluten, I get, you know, belly ache and get bloaty and all that stuff. And I, I can tell, I don't, I don't have to go eat, you know, half a loaf of bread to feel sick. I can sometimes go out to eat and I'll come home and I just feel, oh, and like, okay. And I'm really careful, you know, and I always pick gluten-free items on the menu, but you know, gluten can be hidden in salad dressings and sauces. And sometimes at the restaurant, you know, they just don't know, like there's certain things that can have gluten that, you know, they may not be aware of, but I know that's what it is, but that was supposedly eating gluten-free and there was probably a little bit of gluten in somewhere and I felt crummy. So it doesn't take much. If, if the kibble is part of the problem, even a little bit of kibble will be a problem. And, you know, there's a, a saying I heard uh, years ago, I, I've, I've had a, had a horse, been on the horse scene for a lot of my life. And um, there's an old saying, you can't pad out of a bad saddle fit. And I always think of that and I hear stuff like this because, you know, if, it, you know, if you work around horses and you're riding horses, you have, you know, you have to have a saddle that fits really well. And the horse's backs are all different shapes. And so people will get a saddle that they like, but that doesn't fit the horse well. So then they keep coming up with, you know, you know, you know, new ways for different saddle pads and this, that, and the other thing and spend hundreds of dollars on saddle pads when really the problem is the, the saddle doesn't fit appropriately. And if you correct the underlying problem, that's really what the horse needs. And it's the same thing here. If you're feeding crappy kibble, you know, don't waste your money on the liver, you know, cause you're probably not helping them all that much, you know, do make the, make the full change. Like you were saying, go, go all fresh food. Cause I mean, just adding in a little bit of liver might provide some nutritional benefit, but if the kibble is part of the problem, then you're, you're not going to get very far. <laughs> right. Right. And, and it's just, um, uh, again, it, this is a premium kibble. And I said, what is premium about dry, cooked, extruded uh, flavorings, preservatives? What is premium about that? It's yeah. sort of like, um, well, it's just a little bit of poison, not full on, you know, poison. It's not like yeah. the whole thing's poison. It's like, yeah, I, I, hear, I hear that one a lot too. Like, oh, what's the it's a really good quality kibble. It's like one of the best kibbles out there. I'm like, hmm, let's pull up the ingredients and let's look at what's in this kibble. <laughs> and then well, we, we talk about that. Somebody said to us the other day, they, uh, we, we were wearing our t-shirts that are still not up on the site yet. Um, and one of our customers saw us or saw us at, at, at Home Depot. And, um, and he, and he said, but uh, yes, I, I was feeding a raw. I've, I've moved over. I'm going to come back to raw. But in the meantime, I'm feeding a um, lightly cooked kibble. And I, I didn't say this at the time, but I will say it. Um, if it's a lightly cooked kibble and you open the bag, how much bacteria must be in the bag? That is impossible. It's just marketing sphincter talk. I mean, there is just that lightly cooked kibble. What is that, Dr. Jasek? Yeah, that doesn't even make any sense because kibble by definition 
is actually extruded. It's processed at really high temperatures. And that's what allows it to, like you were saying, sit in a bag on the shelf. You know, if you just, if you have fresh ingredients that are lightly cooked, that isn't going to be shelf stable. If, if you don't refrigerate that, it's going to spoil. So I can guarantee you any, anything in a bag um, probably has been, you know, has been processed. It's not a quote unquote, lightly cooked. It, it has to be either they're extruded or, I mean, there are some um, freeze dried and dehydrated products sure. that are not processed as heavily as kibble that have healthier ingredients. So that's what I recommend for people that want convenience. Like, well, I'm going on a road trip. I don't have to take the raw. Well, we don't feed kibble. Like I do anything to keep people from going back to kibble. So if you need something that's a little more convenient, that's shelf stable, use a good quality dehydrated or freeze dried, but those are not called kibble. Um, like <laughs> no matter what way kibble, that's like an oxymoron. Doesn't even make any sense. Right. Does not compute. It's no, marketing. It like you it said. Is. Mm -hmm. um, you know, people do call me and say, how do I travel with raw? Listen, I've been traveling with raw for 20 plus years. Here's how you do it. There are a lot of people, Dr. Jasek, that actually will take their frozen rolls, wrap them up and put them in their, uh, their bags that go on the plane. Okay. And maybe even a carry on. They're not going to thaw out in the time that you're on the plane. Okay. That's mm -hmm. one way you can do it. So let's say you don't get on a plane um, that you're going to drive. So I had someone the other day that said, we're, you know, we don't want to do, we don't think we could do the raw. How, how are we going to be able to do this? You know, we have to drive for two days going and then two days back. And I said, okay, you're in the clear. You can do a couple of things. Take a cooler um, and, and take your frozen rolls. They're not going to be um, bad by the time you get there and raw food really can stay five days, probably more in the refrigerator thawed. And, mm -hmm. the, and they did not understand that. Now I will say that because we have to put all the stupid FDA BS up, that doesn't even make any sense, but truly people come on. If dogs can eat dead things, poop, uh, dead animals, th they can eat food that is in the refrigerator in a cooler staying cold for five days what is yeah. going to happen right nothing yeah. totally They're, they'd be perfectly fine well and and the other way that i travel is i literally if i'm gone seven days i will say how many meals do i need for seven days for both my dogs and i'll put them in baggies then i'll put it in a cooler then when i get to wherever i'm going i put it in the refrigerator and bada bing bada boom i'm good Mm -hmm. So, yes, I get it. It'd be a lot easier if you just had the freeze-dried stuff, but it depends on what you want. And I'm telling you that there are ways to do it. Um, it just might be out of your scope at the moment, but I can show you. I need to do a video on that because it's super yeah. easy. Yeah, it is. It is easy. Just take a cooler and, um, you know, uh, you know, I mean, people ever, you know, Sometimes people just want reasons to not have to do something. So they'll come up with reasons to not do it. And, you know, the worst thing you can do is take a bag of kibble with you. Just, just <laughs> right. don't do that. Just don't do that. Don't go back to kibble. You're going to undo so much good that you've done having your dog on a raw diet, even, even short-term kibble, 
you know, can really mess with them. So don't do kibble. No. Well, I tell you what else that people that, well, those in our sphere, those that are in the pet health industry seem to be taking the easy way out by diagnosing something. Dr. Jasek, you and I were talking about this before the podcast. They have no scientific reason, meaning no test, um, nothing to really say your dog has, let's talk about like what we were talking about, Giardia. However, they're going to say the dog has Giardia. Tell me how that makes sense and what you're seeing going on out there and why we need to alert our pet parents about this. I mean, if they don't really have a test that says your dog has this, how can a conscious pet parent agree to give their pets the drugs that's being prescribed for something that they don't even really have? Right. And I even... You know, I, I talked to a client this week that they told her the dog was negative for Giardia. Like they'd had tested it and they said it was negative. And yet they said, but we're going to treat for it. That's what we think it is. That's what it probably is anyway. So she, you know, if, if you think about this, you're paying for this test to get supposedly reliable data. And then they're saying, oh, well, that doesn't really matter. I mean, that test really <laughs> doesn't mean anything. We're just going to treat your dog anyway. Like that doesn't make sense. And if things don't make sense, you push back or say, how about, you know, in in a case like this, the dog had diarrhea. So anytime you have diarrhea, vomiting, hydration is probably always a good thing. So if you do take your dog in, you know, and they, and they do the testing and they say it's, you know, negative, we can't find what's going on. Then just say, okay, how about if we just hydrate the dog, let's give it some fluids you know, support its body, let's support, you know, just the natural healing ability of the body and see what happens. Um, But the conventional vets, they just want to throw a bunch of drugs at them. And, you know, why is that? You know, I've said for a long time, when things don't make sense, follow the money. It is the only thing that makes sense to me in, in a case like this, because there's no, there's nothing in medicine that justifies you know, you're, you're, you're supposedly testing for something and they test negative, but then you tell the client that test has no validity. Well, what'd you do it for? Like, if you're going to treat the dog anyway, why don't you just save them the money on the test? You know, because it, and because I think what happens is they already had in their mind that, oh, this dog probably has Giardia and that's what they're going to treat. And they already like probably decided that before they do the test, which is horrible. This isn't, this isn't, this isn't good medicine. Things have gotten so lax um, it, as far as practicing good sound medicine and making good decisions and giving people choices. So, you know, in a case like that, and this dog was sent home on like three different medications. And then I'm talking to them because the dog is gut is now messed up, you know, because it was put on, you know, an antiparasitic and an antibiotic and then an anti-emetic, which helps with vomiting. And then I think they throw in a probiotic just for good measure, but um, you know, ask questions, you know, if they're going to throw a bunch of meds at your dog, ask why, and ask, why is that justified? And just because, or just to see if it helps, isn't a good reason. You don't put medications like that in your pet, unless there's a very specific reason for it. Now, if I, you know, pick up hookworms or whipworms or some intestinal parasite in a dog, you know, sometimes we see rescue dogs that come from, uh, especially other parts of the country, south, you know, parasites are just more common where it's warm and humid. 
more, much more so than here in Colorado, you know, I'll use a conventional antiparasitic because I want that dog, you know, I want them cleaned out. I want to make sure we're getting them off to, you know, a really good start if they're in a new home, but it's very targeted and I know exactly what we're treating and I use something appropriate for that exact thing. We're not just throwing a bunch of meds at it just because, oh, we think, you know, this is what it is. In conventional medicine, they, the, the philosophy is they have to name something. If they can name something, name a problem, name a disease, name a condition, then they can treat it. There, there's a protocol for it. So they're like, well, we don't know what's going on, but we can't treat. I don't know what's going on. So let's call it Giardia because we have a treatment for that. So we can treat that. Well, how about just supporting the pet? Because most cases like this, you provide adequate hydration, you know, do a fast, just let the, let the gut rest, give them some bone broth or coconut water if they're drinking and they can hold down fluids and just give it a day. And I would say probably 95 plus percent of the time they will straighten out on their own. They don't, you know, they don't need all the drugs. I, you know, I had another one, um, this dog had had some elevated liver enzymes and went, went in, ended up doing the biopsy. And so the diagnose, mm. diagnosis was chronic active hepatitis. She says, my dog has chronic active hepatitis. And it's like, okay, that tells me absolutely nothing. <laughs> because, because we know the liver is inflamed. If, if the liver enzymes are high, we know the liver is inflamed. So they did this biopsy and chronic active hepatitis. Okay, great. Do we have an inflamed liver? What does that tell us? Like for me, from my perspective, I would not have treated that dog any differently, you know, before that biopsy or afterwards, because that information would tell me nothing. If I see those elevated liver enzymes, we're going to talk about what's in the routine that could be inflaming the liver, you know, pharmaceuticals, supplements, all these you know, things. We've talked about this on the podcast before what could be inflaming the liver. And then let's do some herbal support. Let's help the liver detox. Let's just do some gentle support. So with this diagnosis of chronic active hepatitis, what am I going to do? The exact same thing. And they said, I think they also threw in necrotizing. I think it was chronic active necrotizing. Oh, that sounds scary. Hepatitis, which sounds really scary because necrotizing means dead, right? Right. But because I have been following Dr. Thomas Cowan. Love him. And and what he, he has really opened my eyes to a concept that I'd never really thought about before, but he says, you know, when you do a biopsy or a needle aspirin, you're taking cells out of the body from that point on, they are not going to look normal because they're outside of the body. I'm like, oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And then, and I know how things are processed. You can do a, a biopsy, it goes in something like formaldehyde to fix the cells. Well, what is that doing to the cells? And I read this pathology report in this particular case, and it said something like occasional singular cell death or something like that. Like, <laughs> well, you're killing it. Because you're killing the cells by pro even just this basic stains. You know, when he said that, like, boy, did that just that just hit a home run with me. Cause I'm like, yeah, you take these you smears and you smear them on a slide and then you dry them. Sometimes you heat dry them. And then you put these chemical stains on them. They're not going to look anything like they would look in the body. So what good does this do? So yeah, of course you're going to have dead cells. So 
this client was concerned. She says, well, they told me my dog has, you know, basically his liver's dying, you know, like it's inflamed and there's these dead portions. And I said, how's your dog acting? Perfectly yeah. fine. Perfectly fine. Eating is like an 11 year old lap tugging us down the road when we go for walks, perfectly fine. And I said, because just think about this logically, if your dog's liver was truly necrotic, truly dying, your dog wouldn't be acting that way. True no. liver disease, they are sick. So if somebody tells you that your dog has some horrible life, and this lady was, you know, they'd scared the bejesus out of her. And to treat this, just, oh man, I get so frustrated with these conventional vets. Um, to treat it, what did they put the dog on? Steroids. So let's put it on something that's known to inflame the liver and metronidazole, um, both of which are toxic to the liver. Metronidazole is a very narrow safety margin and can be very, very hard on the liver. And then they, the vet they were seeing consulted with, I think one of the specialists at the, at the lab that was like reading the biopsy. And they said, oh, because this vet was like, maybe we should try to wean this dog off the pred. This might not be the best thing for liver. Oh no, you need to add in a topica, which is cyclosporine, which is another immunosuppressive dog, uh, immunosuppressive drug. So let's put this dog on two immunosuppressive drugs and antibiotics. And let's really trash the liver. You know, it's like, well, if he wasn't sick when he went in, he was, he's going to be sick afterwards. Yeah. This was an incidental finding. I, I think the dog was going in for a dental procedure or something, you know, this what? was incidental. The dog wasn't even sick. The dog wasn't even sick. They pick up and it did have some very high liver enzymes granted, but the dog was gone simparico. And I said to the client, because the, the liver enzymes had been going up and down and, and, you know, the liver is a dynamic organ and, and any blood work is a snapshot that point in time, what is the liver doing at that point in time, the it's normal for these values to change. So if they go up pretty high and then come back down, that's a good thing for one, because they're not going up high, staying higher, keep going higher. But then you have to ask the question, what else was going on? Did that, was that blood test where those values were really high taken, you know, was that blood drawn, you know, within a few days of the last dose of Simperico, which is a um, flea and tick treatment that would raise those liver enzymes for sure. You know, but, but the, you know, the conventional vets don't, don't break this down and don't look at, okay, what could be causing it? They just jump in with, with pharmaceuticals that it, it, they would have killed this dog. You know, this, this dog is a healthy 11 year old dog. And yeah, we need to do a little liver support. That's the way I look at it. This dog isn't dying of liver disease. Like, okay, liver enzymes are elevated. This dog's liver is in overdrive. We need to do some things to support it. Let's look at what things we can pull out of the routine. Like you were saying, Didi, I think I take more things out of the routine these days than I put back in because we get down to basic diet, you know, your foods, your blends that just have basic ingredients, nothing synthetic, no added nutrients. And we just get really basic and, you know, 80% of the time that, that creates such a huge improvement. And then we can tweak things, you know, dog needs a little extra help, but sometimes it's less is less is more. And what we need to be doing is, is less taking things out, not adding more things in, not adding band-aids just to make symptoms go away. We have to be getting down to the root cause. Well, and here's the thing when we're talking about 
uh, kidney and liver problems and the craziness that goes on or comes out of some of the traditional vet's mouth, arsenic is 10 times the level in rice, Dr. Jasek, than other grain crops. And the thing about it is how many times do we hear, Mm -hmm. oh, your dog has got, you know, bloody diarrhea, they're vomiting. Let's put them on a cooked chicken and rice diet. Yep. All the time. All All the the time. time. And they're talking about how many heavy metals are in rice. And that arsenic causes uh, dermatitis, liver disease, myocarditis. Um, It causes neurodevelopment issues. And do you know the government has no limits on how much arsenic can be in, in the rice. And it's so crazy. So if, if, if they're so concerned about the kidney and the liver and how things build up in the kidneys and the liver, why on sphincter's name <laughs> do they recommend chicken and rice? Right. What, what I mean, that makes zero sense. There's so many things that I'm just like, what is happening in that industry? Is it that somebody walks in and says, hey, guys, we uh, we just got our sales report and uh, we're going to have to up our medications. Whatever may not kill them, just go ahead and get it to them now. I almost feel like that's what happened. Yeah. In the or, last- or better yet, or better yet, let's keep them sick. You know, let's <laughs> give them meds. I, I swear to God, because this is what happens let's just keep them sick because if we just get them healthy and send them out the door, they won't be back. We keep them sick. And then they have to keep coming in for refills. And before we can refill these drugs, we have to do more blood work. I, I swear that's what's going on. Cause this is not medicine. There's some other motivation. It is not the health of the pets and it is so sad and so frustrating. And I tell you, there's days where I just want to go run off to the Hills and retire and then I hear stuff like this and I'm like, good Lord, somebody's got to advocate. Don't you run pets. away. I need you. Please don't run away. Or I'm going with you. One of the two. <laughs> okay. I'll let you know. And you can make your choice. You either talk me out of it or you come with. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but you know what? There's so many different crazy things that are going on. Um, Brian, my, my fabulous employee, sent me this today. Mm-hmm. He said, Send me this article from Pet Food Industry. Imagine this. This is tricks to make extruded pet food treats look homemade. Mm. And um, basically what they're doing, they know that people want homemade treats, right? They like that. Everybody wants a homemade treat. So in this presentation, they say there are some tricks we can do at the extruder to give it a non-cookie cutter look. However, it's still coming out of an extruder. It's still, you know, coming out of these huge facilities. And um, what they do is they said, for example, to give texture to the outside of a product, the extruder operators can mount a powder feeder. A powder feeder, you just put this powder feeder on your extruder and uh, you attach it to the throat of the extruder, right? Where it's the coming out. And the powder feeder will drop these whole steam rolled oats onto the into the extruder. And when it comes out, you're getting this nice biscuit shape, but it's got a texture with these steam rolled oats on it. So that mm-hmm. looks like it is uh, 
um, 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 homemade. Like, like, like an oatmeal cookie that just came out of the oven. Yeah. And it says, check this out. It says this, it gives you the mass production you need to hit a broader market at an economy of scale, but gives you this artisanal kind of look and feel to the product. And I'm quoting. So let's just dupe people into buying crap and feeding crap to their dogs. Let's just dupe them into that by making it look like an oatmeal cookie or something. That is it's right. Just, it's, it's just all deception. It just makes you sick. And you know what? It's really scary about that is what are they doing to our, to the human food, food supply? Because this yeah. is the same people. It's all these same industries, the same big corporations. You know, they're making stuff look good, making stuff, you know, um, look natural. Oh, it's got whole oats, which I don't even recommend feeding oats to dogs anyway. But you know, oh, it's got whole oats that look so wholesome and much must be, you know, good. Don't fall for that marketing. Words like natural or, you know, natural ingredients. You know what that means? Nothing. There could be one natural ingredient in there. Or well, maybe what's even natural? It is yeah, and what does natural mean? Yeah. Is the, mean? is the rice that is sucking up all the arsenic um, that they spray those fields with? Is that natural? No. I think they and, would. And technically, would... technically, Arsenic is natural because it occurs in nature there. It occurs in nature naturally. I mean, they will add it, you know, they, it, it's an additive that's added into the food supply, but it does occur in nature. So you can technically say that arsenic is natural. Well, and we've talked about uh, apricot seeds um, and the B17 in apricot seeds. Okay. Or even, um, uh, apple seeds or things like that. There's a very, very small amount of arsenic that's naturally in that, but not 10 times the level of arsenic because they are spraying the fields with these heavy metals. That's not a naturally occurring type of uh, mineral or whatever you want to call it. What, what, what would you say arsenic is? I mean, in its natural form, because there is a level of arsenic that's going to be in the seeds of certain mm -hmm. um, fruits. Well, I think it's a natural protective. It's, it's a protective thing because it's toxic. So for like you and I could eat apple seeds or apricot seeds or something, and there's not enough arsenic in there to harm us, but maybe an insect you know, insect bores into the fruit and gets around, you know, one of those seeds, it could kill. I think it is a, a protective mechanism. So it is toxic. It's just in low enough proportions that it's not going to kill a human or a, you know, a pet, but yeah, a little insect or something, or maybe even birds that eat fruit, maybe it would um, make them sick. So I do think it's a, it's a protective mechanism, but there's a lot of things in nature uranium is in nature, you know, like that's, you know, that's, that's occurs in nature. It's radioactive. It's really dangerous, you, you know, but it occurs, um, it occurs in nature. Look at each other, heavy metals, you know, lead, you know, lead is, is um, out there in nature. I mean, there's all sorts of things that are toxic in, um, you know, larger amounts that, you know, we, we don't have huge exposures in the natural world. So they don't cause a problem, but when you concentrate them like lead-based paint and things like that, and you've got your, all the walls in your home painted with lead, well, then that can become a problem. But these substances 
do occur in nature. So they can be considered natural. So this is where I have to be so careful with the reading labels. Yeah. Hey, I want to ask you another question uh, from someone that uh, I talked to yesterday. All right. We've got a 10 month old puppy. This puppy is on raw. Now I will say, I always find out that they're on something more than just our food, but this puppy's on raw and his head itches. He's got an itchy head. Now, I don't know exactly where the head itches, but it wasn't like the ears, but she said his head itches. So I'm thinking it might be the food. Now, you and I know that typically it's not. Um, this puppy does go to the groomer. Okay. Could it be grooming? Could be, could be. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of things that we've talked about itching before, but here is where I really want to go with this question. So she says, my puppy's itching. And this puppy is a female, 10 months going in for a spay next week. And I said, well, if we have a dog that is truly inflamed, is truly itching, truly has an allergy, which I don't know if that's the case, could be from the grooming supplies, right? And some people say, mm-hmm. well, I, I get the dog groomed all the time. They don't, well, maybe they left some stuff in his face. I don't know what I said. But I said, I want you to think about this. And I'd like for you to go back to Dr. Jasek and talk to her before you make this decision to spay your dog at 10 months. And not just at 10 months, but from the standpoint that if your dog is inflamed and you take that dog in and get them spayed and they put you on antibiotics, I think you're going to be fighting an uphill battle mm-hmm. for a long time. What do you think about that? Oh yeah, absolutely. You, you don't, you know, the, the, the symptoms we see are, are a sign that something is out of balance in the body and we have itchiness, we have inflammation. So we know the body's inflamed. And then you put the dog through a procedure, a surgery procedure. I mean, I think unless it's a, a life or death emergency and a, I mean, any kind of elective procedure should only be done when the dog is in optimal health. And, and you're absolutely right. If, you know, the dog is itchy, maybe it has some little scabs on its head from the, you know, where it's scratching at it or something. Yeah, you bet, you bet you they're going to probably put the dog on antibiotics. We're going to mess up the gut, you know, surgery is a little stressful anyway. So, you know, we're going to further add to that stress by putting the dog on more, more pharmaceuticals and you're, you know, you're changing the hormonal you know, um, levels in the body. So yeah, make sure get, get those things addressed before you, you take your pet in for a procedure like that, because where you're seeing the symptom may not be the only place in the body that's inflamed. So it's showing up on the dog's head and why some dogs just itch on their head. I don't know. Some dogs, I was telling you earlier, I, you know, I saw a dog yesterday. It just, it's butt itched. It, it, it's just a scooter its butt every night after dinner. I don't know why. I don't know why, but I do the same thing. You know, we get down to the basics and let's take things out of the routine that could be inflaming the body. But just because that's where the itchiness is showing up doesn't mean that's the only place in the body that is inflamed. Probably the whole body is inflamed <clears throat> to different degrees. It just shows up different places on different individuals. So yeah, I would definitely dig into that, get, get down to, you know, what's going on. 
I can't tell you how many people I talk to that, you know, try to sort out these itchy skin things or these odd symptoms and, you know, they're on a raw diet and they're not doing a lot of vaccines. They're doing all this stuff. Then I'll find out they give their dog a greenie every night or something, you know, like that stuff matters. And, and most of the time we can find something like that in the routine. Maybe they're feeding dairy, you know, especially itching around the head. I'd wonder if there is something the dog's ingesting that, is, you know, is bothering it. Or like you said, the groomer, maybe you got soap in there and then it didn't get it all rinsed off of the head. And, you know, you got to be really careful. What are they using? They use perfumes sometimes and, you know, all different sorts of shampoos. Shampoos have a ton of chemicals in them. Um, you have to be really careful with that sort of thing. So maybe they didn't get it um, completely rinsed out. You know, there could be a lot of reasons, but yeah, I would not put a dog through, especially an elective procedure, when it's inflamed because you could end up with way worse problems afterwards. Yeah. And, and she did say, do you think that I should delay the the surgery? And I said, that is going to have to be a decision you're going to have to make, but you need to understand what the pros and cons are and what you might be subjecting your dog to. If in fact you further um, assault the gut and, and one of the things that I think that people, Dr. Jasek, adhere to and believe is that there is, you have to take all of those antibiotics and you have to take them for the full time or, or your dog's going to be, you know, in, in, in trouble. Now, do, is that really true? I mean, if you give a dog you know, 21 days of antibiotics. And, and furthermore, let me say this. Neely had two of her dogs spayed, never used antibiotics. I had Lazi's leg sewn up, a very deep cut, never used antibiotics. Isn't that a just-in-case type of situation? If they do their job, if they clean the wound out, they sew them up, they put them back together, do we really need antibiotics? Right. And it, I mean, probably not. And if, and if you do do, so for like a, a cut on a leg, say it was really, really dirty and you really wanted to make sure it didn't get infected, um, three to five days of antibiotics should be more than enough. In, in my opinion, if antibiotics are appropriate, so say we have a true bacterial infection, say like sometimes urinary tract infections and, and we do a urinalysis, we do a culture, we know exactly what's growing in there. We know exactly what antibiotics are going to be effective. You, you take a dog that has symptoms, you know, they're peeing in the house or whatever going all the time. It takes about 24 to 48 hours and their symptoms are gone. So why are we treating for three to four weeks? Because yeah. once you get on top of that bacteria, you get the bacterial population down enough that the body can come in and finish cleaning stuff up. You know, I think that's all you should need to do. Why is it that they say that? Where did that even come from? That um, you've got to complete these or it's going to come back? What? Yeah, I I mean, if, I mean, it's not good to use antibiotics. Like if you're going to do antibiotics, you want to do a proper course for what you're treating. So you don't want to do them intermittently, like give a dose or two here. I think what they're saying is that if you don't do them for long enough, that you could build resistance. But I don't think it takes three weeks to kill off those bacteria. If the antibiotics are working, they're going to kill off those bacteria pretty quick in just 
in just a few days. And then again, if the body's healthy, if we're supporting the immune system, they're on a good diet, then the body's going to get in there and finish cleaning stuff up. You, you don't have to go for weeks and weeks and weeks. And for things like space that should be sterile surgeries anyway, like you said, if they're doing their job and doing a good sterile prep, when I was in practice doing spays and neuters, I did not do antibiotics. It It's not necessary. Which is why we clean sterile surgery, which is why we want you to open that clinic <laughs> and, and, and get you the, the surgeons in there that are going to be smart and be holistic and, and do what we talk about on, uh, on this podcast. Now, no pressure, Dr. Godly Jasek. <laughs> I just am throwing that out there. <laughs> you know, I mean, you would have a line out the door. Let me just say, you would have the line out the door. People would be filing into there every single day. If you have questions that you would like, answered here on the podcast, please email me at info at rawdogfoodandco.com. We will answer those here. Um, but get yourself lined up and over with Dr. Jason. What's your wait time right now, you think, Dr. Jason, to get in with your team? Oh, probably, pro- depending on, on schedule flexibility, um, up to two weeks, one to two weeks probably to get in. Yeah. So I think if you're thinking about it, don't wait. Don't wait. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Raw Dog Food Truth. Get your dog on a species-appropriate diet. That's the first thing you got to do. Get off the processed treats that look like homemade treats that are just coming from an extruder with rolled rolled oats. That's ridiculous. That makes me so oh mad. My God, that's uh, crazy. It's crazy. Um, get them off the greenies. Get them off of those dental chews that I see going around. They're just not good for your dogs. Get them on real bones for Pete's sakes and just get the kibble out of their mouth. That will improve their lives tenfold. Go to rawdogfoodandco.com where your pet's health is our business and we're friends. Don't let friends feed kibble. We'll see you next week, everybody. Bye-bye. Oh, snap. Find out how you can start your dog on the road to health and longevity. Go to rawdogfoodandcompany.com, where friends don't let friends feed kibble and where your pet's health is our business. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.